welcome to another episode of the Tales and Tunes podcast. We got another guest and another mix lined up for you this week, featuring Iowa native and Seattle-based Corey Simpson. But first, let's check out B-Tsunami's number one track pick of the week. This week's pick goes out to a duo I've been a fan of for years, but lately they've been really cranking out some real deal techno. The track is called All Indians, No Chiefs, produced by Pleasurecraft, and the release can be found on Octopus Records.
Thanks for joining us for episode 20 of the Tales and Tunes podcast, marking two years since this podcast got started. This week's guest was in town for a couple gigs in, Dem- in the Denver area this past weekend, and I managed to nab some time with him before he hops on a flight back to Seattle. An Iowa native and someone who has been involved with the electronic music scene for over 23 years. Please welcome Corey Simpson to the podcast. So, yeah, how have you been lately, man? I've been well. Things have been really good lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you moved out to Seattle, uh, how long ago was that? Uh, a little over a year ago. A little over a year? Man, mm-hmm. it feels like longer to me. Because <laughs> you're definitely ingrained <laughs> already. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you were in town uh, this last weekend. Uh, your crew with... Uh, who's all in the crew of the Mad Scientists? It would be Cameron Byers and Colin and Peter and Justin and myself. Right on. And uh, most of those guys are Iowa-based, except for Justin, who's out here. Peter also lives out here, and then Cameron and Colin live in Iowa. But and obviously you're out in Seattle, but mm-hmm. you guys all came in to uh, Denver, and it was uh, Justin Cruz's birthday. And there was a big uh, Mad Scientist feature at Beta on uh, Saturday or Friday night. Yes. So, uh, yeah, how did, when did you play? I played from midnight until 1. Right on. Mm-hmm. What would you think? I enjoyed it. It's it's been a goal of mine to actually be able to play there. So having the chance to do that with uh, everyone within the crew was kind of pretty special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was great. And uh, they sold out guest list that night and ended up having a really nice turnout for everything. Crowd was good. Um, sound was all right but yeah 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 all in all it was definitely a really fun yeah. experience for sure yeah oh we also had, uh jade and mustafa also played uh yeah cloudy with the chance of techno so, yeah yeah it was really like six or seven guys from iowa <laughs> uh-huh. yeah it was family that was great that was one of yeah. the special things about it i know other people from iowa have been out before but uh to be able to have the opportunity for us to showcase exactly who we are and what we do and predominantly many of us coming from the midwest uh is something that's really special especially knowing like where everyone has come from and what they've done to be able to get to where they are like that that was an amazing experience for sure yeah and there was a couple carloads that came out too just for the show I yeah think. there was yeah absolutely. yeah mm-hmm. so not only was it like an iowa lineup it's it's also what makes you know iowa kind of special is that vibe absolutely that, like, yeah they what, came out to support for sure yeah, yeah the that environment was that uh, uh, people like us create mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty awesome the next night was uh, good friends of ours in town uh roy dudley and Escobars. they had a b-day party at echo house <clears throat> it's called a uh, Echo-tober. <laughs> and uh, that party went from 7 p.m. until, I think, noon the next day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I played at that one from... I tagged with Jordan Clausen in the morning from, I think, yeah, 9 to nine to 10 or something like that. And they moved the party outdoors during the day or the morning, which mm-hmm. was really, really cool. And really good vibes and hangout. <clears throat> uh, how, how much of that did you catch? Um, I was there from, I think, around 10 until 8.30, mm-hmm. uh, only because I couldn't go anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
it's a friggin' long, long time. Absolutely, yeah. Especially with, with the with, night before. Uh-huh, <laughs> the night before, and then the after party from that, and then the three hours of sleep, and then the free keg at, uh, at the eco party. <laughs> yeah, things started to catch up a little bit. <laughs> No rest for the wicked. (laughs) (laughs) In my age, the wicked starts to drop away a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, to top it all off, that wasn't even the end. Uh, Last night, you and Peter played back-to-back at uh, Pearl's. Mm -hmm. The uh, Paul Anthony and Jan von Leer show they do down there on Monday nights. Yeah, that was fun. It was like a nice, intimate crowd, like a, a super intimate space, and the sound system was nice for the room. Like that, that was fun. It was like kind of a chance to uh, take in everything from the weekend and decompress a little bit, play something a little softer, and yeah, just kind of relax and and have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sweet. And this was uh, not only the. Not the only weekend that was uh, heavily Iowa-influenced in Denver this past month. Uh, We also had our uh, Together Decomp Party, which uh, is kind of a funny story. Uh, I originally called it a Together Decompression, and then I got contacted by the regional uh, Burning Man representative uh, who owns one of the venues in town. She's a friend of mine. She's, She's pretty cool. But she hit me up. She's like, oh, yeah, by the way, you got to change the name of your party because uh, Burning Man patented that name like six years ago or something. Together decompression? No, not together. The word decompression. Oh, my so God. no one is allowed, unless it is a Burning Man sanctioned uh-huh. event, uh-huh. to have a decompression. How <laughs> entitled. So, yeah, we, we had to like switch it at the last minute. Ended up just calling the event together at 5,800 feet. There you go. <laughs> But yeah, it was super cool. Uh, The focus of it was to bring out uh, as many DJs that were supposed to play together. (laughs) As many DJs that were supposed to play together that had to cancel at the last minute or for whatever given reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yeah, we got a bunch of people on. Uh, We did get to bring Evan Touts, who's another uh, Iowan, but he lives in... uh, Portland, Portland. yeah, mm-hmm. he lives in Portland now, so he got to come out, and that was fun. And uh, our other friends, Colin, who was also here this weekend to play, he came out from Iowa with our other buddy Tyler Holst. <clears throat> and uh, that party, yeah, was two stages, indoor, outdoor, all night, super fun. <clears throat> and yeah, once again, like I said, we had a ton of people, a bunch of people come from Iowa, and got to recreate that vibe once again and uh, host That's the decomp, yeah. <clears throat> and uh, you also uh, speaking of together, you got you've got to come out the past couple years mm-hmm. for the two of them, and that's been really awesome. Absolutely. Last year you came out from Iowa. Mm-hmm. That's right. So mm-hmm. if you've come from both corners of the, both ends, yeah, yeah, it was <laughs> worth it for me to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Heck yeah! yeah well, I love the party. Mm-hmm. I love everything that you guys do with that. The vibe there is great. Seeing everyone is great. Being able to reconnect with everyone in one spot is is phenomenal and the sound is always fantastic and it's a really fun vibe so yeah oh, absolutely yeah yep. i love supporting it and thank you for allowing me to come out to you absolutely and we'll <clears throat> plan on having you out again next year fantastic. for what will probably be the last together at whatever given feat it might be at we're definitely <laughs> going to move it to uh, private land this year just to avoid the uh stress of <laughs> this year Certainly. not that this year wasn't 
unbelievably magical but <laughs> yeah behind the scenes that was that was a lot of fun yeah mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh but then after that yeah we'll see what happens uh we, i was talking with you over the weekend about mm-hmm. some unique ideas and maybe taking it on the road and you know creating this kind of space where it's at least the half the lineup is create uh, you know people from the Midwest and Iowa. Absolutely, yeah. I think it's important to be able to keep that spirit alive and to have everyone from there come there. Um, If they've made it this far, it's not that much farther, really. Exactly. All things considered. And with the vibe that's created and the people that are a part of it, I think it's important for the rest of the country to be able to see that if they have the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Festivals like this occur all the time, but there's something that is kind of unique about this one that I, I think should be shared. Well, yeah, looking forward, man, to, you know, bouncing ideas off future and and seeing where this can grow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Other than that, this month, next weekend is Halloween, uh, you know, the rave holiday of the year. Uh, This year, I'm going back to Iowa to play uh, Matt Rissy's show in Cedar Rapids. I haven't been in Iowa for a Halloween party and or Halloween in general since I've been here so four to five years mm-hmm. it's it's looking pretty uh, promising there's a, it's a new industrial like basement of a warehouse space in downtown Cedar Rapids they're gonna have two stages uh, once again Evan touts is uh, we get to see each other twice in one month which since we both moved to Colorado and uh, he moved to Portland I've seen him once in this land and so now I see him in two, twice in one month. Right. <laughs> uh, but then uh, the one of the headliners they are bringing is uh, Roland Hodar from Arizona, and then also a few others: uh, Dustin Oxford, Patrick Blinn, Jade Reed of I- Equilibrium. Uh, yeah, so it should be a really good show. Um, I, I'm playing uh, three to five, closing out the main stage. Nice. I just found out this past weekend, so. I'm pretty excited to for rip, sure. Rip That's that a great shit spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what uh, what are your plans for Halloween? I am actually not doing anything for Halloween. As terrible as that sounds, um, I'm working through that weekend, and after everything else, it might be the first weekend that I haven't done something since July. So mm-hmm. I'm going to take advantage of that. Right on. Yeah. Is uh is Halloween a popular time for your line of work, or does it not? Really? Not necessarily, no, but I still have to do it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. As far as the parties go, um, where I'm at, like, um, there, there's some phenomenal things going on there, but um, not necessarily something that I would take time to go to outside of working 11 hour days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right on, man. It sounds so bad, but it's true. <laughs> Well, all right. Let's, uh, yeah, kind of get to know you and your background a little bit here. Sure. Uh, so you're from Iowa. Where where in Iowa did you grow up? I grew up in Cedar Falls. Cedar Falls. Mm-hmm. Born and raised? Yes. Right on. Uh, so growing up in Cedar Falls, uh, what were you into as a kid? Uh, hobbies and what um, did you do as growing up? Mostly skateboarding. That, that was kind of what I was into. Um, and I was interested in music and things like that but predominantly i was skateboarding gotcha Mm -hmm. did you have uh brothers or sisters 
Uh, I have two sisters, two younger sisters. Two younger sisters, mm-hmm. all right. So you, you'd be the one influencing them. <laughs> I suppose so, yeah. Yeah, but I think I was too rebellious for the two of them to be able to do much influencing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think they learned what not to do or how to get away with things. But outside of that, yeah. yeah. How yeah. much younger are they than you then? Um, one of them is about six years younger, and the other one is eight years younger. Gotcha. Uh, high school, what what were you into once you hit high school? Uh, sports, or did you play any instruments? Um, when I was in high school, I was in punk bands predominantly uh, and still skateboarding. So um, I was playing guitar and singing in bands. Okay. Doing like small performances in little VFW halls and stuff like that, and then uh, different things. Yeah. But gotcha. I, mostly I was doing music and, and performing. Uh, when I was also skateboarding, a lot of basically rebellious youth stuff. All right. Mm -hmm. So was punk music kind of the first music you got into like on your own or? No. Um, oddly enough, um, I would say hip hop, um, would have been one of the first things given like free choice, uh, that in new wave, um, I would record a lot of music off of um, off the radio onto cassette players, uh, and most of what you would hear or get on vinyl would be pop music at that time. So um, you know, you would have Erasure and Duran Duran and things like that. And so it was that music and hip hop that that were some of the first things that I either owned or bought. Um, I think like the first record I ever had that was mine um, would have been uh, When Doves Cry by Prince. I had a, a purple vinyl 45 that my, my dad got with my allowance money when he went to Minneapolis for me. Um, but yeah, it, it was, yeah. So I had more of like a hip hop and, and new wave background, but I think being involved in... Um, skateboarding and things like that it it kind of took a turn more into underground hip-hop and the the anger of punk because coming from a a city that really was at that time still uh, very country oriented Uh, it was either hair metal or farmers and that was kind of about it (laughs) there was a lot of like um rebellion and and angst so it kind of went more the the punk direction in high school what were your parents into as you were growing up did you enjoy the stuff they listened to not not exactly (laughs) no my mom would listen to a lot of classical music and uh and um like Mannheim steamroller and stuff like that (laughs) year round yeah year round (laughs) absolutely year round uh, it, it wasn't, yeah, Irish music and things like that. It was, it was an odd playlist. Um, my dad, um, would mostly listen to like surf rock and the beach boys and things like that. Um, but there wasn't a lot of exposure to, um, to things at that time. My uncles were in bands and they would, um, play folk music or like Pink Floyd songs and things like that but I wasn't really paying attention mm-hmm. to it at that time, and my parents weren't listening to it, so I was mostly s- stuck on radio stuff. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so did you discover electronic music in high school then? 
Yeah. Uh, What you would consider like electronic music now didn't happen until I was maybe 16. Um, But before that, um, I was I was in high school. I was listening to like a lot of early industrial music. So and what year would this have been? Like, the, well, when I was starting to get into that, you'd be looking at 91, okay. 92. Um, and at that time, I was listening to um, early ministry, um, revolting cocks, things like that, a lot of stuff on wax tracks. And I, it, the reason that that kind of found me was that it had similar sounds to what I was used to recording off the radio when I was a kid, still combined with some of the um, angst or the the live instrumentation that I was accustomed to mm. with punk music. Gotcha. And, and kind of mashed that together. And that was something that identified with me, but it also sort of offset me from the people that I, I hung out with. Um, being straight edge and skating and... Um, being around the the punk community at that time, industrial music was still sort of frowned upon. Mm-hmm. It was considered weak in their mm-hmm. eyes or just um, <clears throat> obscure or just disregarded. And so I kind of kept that more to myself a little bit. Um, but then um, raves essentially started happening. And the the same person that um, whose family had started the first skate park in town was throwing these parties with uh, really crazy music uh, that were going all night long and we didn't have anything else to do and we were already just out skateboarding all night or mm-hmm. like doing things we shouldn't. Um, so we we started going to those and uh, that's that's when I discovered what you would now call like electronic music or electronic dance music. Where were they doing those parties at? They were having them at 4-H buildings uh, in Waverly. They were having them at the VFW Hall uh, on Airline Highway. And all of them were always map point. Um, You had to call a phone number and go to like three places. And they would pick and choose who could actually go there to make sure that nothing was going to happen. And this was before you would start to see like TV shows where they were making fun of that or, or like alluding to the thing about raves um and uh yeah it was all paper flyers that were kind of distributed and you had to know about it and then call and figure out how to get to wherever it was and then yeah that's kind of where everything started um there was maybe one in cedar rapids before what was happening in cedar falls and waverly Um, But the ones in Cedar Falls and Waverly happened more frequently than they did anywhere else in the state at that time. And the people that were coming and doing them um, turned out to be involved with uh, drop-based network and communique and uh, uh, Mad Groove and Credit Beats, Mush Groove, um, Frankie Vega, Angel Alanis, Greg and Miguel and people like that. Um, coming from Chicago and Minneapolis and Madison and Milwaukee to put these parties on for essentially 150 to 200 high school kids from (laughs) small towns that would all come together (laughs) wanting to figure out what this was. And it actually turned into a thing 
where uh, they had a venue in downtown Waterloo and it would happen every week uh, for the better part of a year wow. towards the end of it. Yeah. And that, that event center downtown, right? Not even. No, no it was in, uh, it was in, um, if you remember where Maison was or um, where the, the Bosnian area is, there's a place called Acme, something about mufflers or something, but it was in that building. Um, it was just like a small room in the top floor of a space that was essentially abandoned for a long time. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So do you remember the first one you actually went to? Was was there mm-hmm. uh, like credible names or was it just a bunch of like local or no, small the, town the, guys doing it? No, or? the first one that I went to would have been um, Frankie Vega and Angel Alanis and Dan FX. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then Mingo and Josh Lockie were the two people that were responsible for those. Mingo and Josh um, started throwing parties at the same time around when Matt Fountain was working with people uh, and just starting to do parties. Uh, and but actually, I think Matt did the one just before Josh and and uh, Mingo, if I remember correctly. And then there was a guy named Chris uh, from Ecstasies that was doing things in the Quad Cities. Um, mm. Man, all right. But yeah, they, they, would bring in, they would bring in those guys because they were testing out stuff to do bigger parties in Chicago. Um, so they would, they would bring out test all these rounds. artists. Yeah, wow. that before they were playing these bigger events, they would test records and they would kind of like see and see how they they could do to people that weren't even exposed to it you know yeah while while you have the house music scene in chicago that was going on before they were doing these sort of things and um yeah that they it, it was very interesting with everything um in the quad cities it wasn't uncommon to see dimitri from paris from delight play oh, i think wow. that one went down in 1994 <laughs> when they were at their heyday um you know, it, they were doing a lot of things. They were bringing in tracks. Uh, they were bringing in Chad Mind Drive. They were bringing in Woody. They were bringing in Mike Dearborn. Um, they were bringing in Green Velvet and Daje uh, and Julio Bishop and and Mark Farina and wow. all of these names super early on. But it, it was all you had to know about it happening. And at that time period, again, you had hip-hop and that was when hip-hop was starting to break for the first time yeah. where everyone was wearing Raiders gear and it was like straight <laughs> out of Compton but everyone yeah. was a farmer uh, it was in that time period so it was like not uh, you know really like uh, uh, yeah but because it, it was such a an interesting thing you'd have people from all these cities kind of come together so uh, you know you'd start to see uh, uh, maybe 300, 400, 600 people all show up to an event. And this was before the time where there was like three or four events happening mm. in a weekend. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't mean to include him. No, he but can't. Dave was, Dave was totally around for that time. And I don't know. I mean, do you, do you yeah, see, am I missing good. anything here? Oh man, you've been pulling out all the, all the old names I haven't heard forever. <laughs> Absolutely. What would they charge for parties back then, or do you remember what like a oh, tour cost would even be? I like? mean, it was 
bucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, some of the some of the ones in Waverly and Cedar Falls would be like five. Uh, because high school kids didn't have a lot of money, but yeah. as yeah, definitely within like a year after that, ten to fifteen dollars all the time. They do yeah. the whole canned food drive thing a lot. We would do yeah. canned, yep, canned <laughs> food donations. That was definitely a thing. Or like to get into the party, you had to have a specific item, so you'd have to like bring a specific <laughs> thing to be able to get in. Mm-hmm. And that points. Map points, absolutely. Yeah. Always map points. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm gonna eat all your candy. He oh, provides great candy if you do this podcast. That's why it's here. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's see here. So what? What actually? Is there a, a moment? Or I, I mean, it's a lot of times cliche, but what made you realize that you wanted to be a DJ? Um, I think. I had been going to parties for about a year, from like 92 to 93, and um, I went to art school, which was something that I had done a lot as a kid. Um, I went to art school, and I became disenfranchised with it, and I came back to, to Iowa, and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew I wanted to do music, and I was burned out on trying to do bands because getting multiple people together and on the same page and actually executing Uh, something was becoming difficult, Mm -hmm. especially at the time where people are transitioning to going to college and, you know, everything else. Like, it's hard to keep things like that together. Mm -hmm. So I was going to these parties, and I had talked to Josh, who was one of the main promoters at that time, and told him... I kind of wanted to get into this. And uh, so he, I think the next week, took me under his wing. And uh, he told me to get as much money as I could. And he drove me up to Iowa City. And uh, I bought I bought my first records. Um, I'm, for the life of me, I wish I could tell you what record store that was. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> do you remember what record store that was at the time, back in the early 90s? Record collector. Record collector. Yeah, when it was on the top floor. Mm hmm. So I, 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 from there on out, I would spend like maybe two or three hundred dollars a week on on records. I would everything from my job, I would just spend on records. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, I was DJing in a nightclub, and they used only vinyl, and all of it was like pop crap. Mm-hmm. And and they wanted me to bring sort of like a house element to it, and so. I was trying to merge like that music and and buying all this like underground techno at the same time but the benefit I had was the b-sides of some of these pop records would be um remixes by like Kevin Saunderson oh, nice. and Derek May and Sneaking it, that in right there. <laughs> exactly because that they did the, they did these like re-edits of really popular songs that you wouldn't know about yeah. and they would use that money to finance things that oh, they wow, were doing that's awesome mm-hmm. So I was able to kind of combine both of those, but um, I totally veered off of, of what. Oh you're no, that's all good. Sorry. How much did would records cost back then? Mm-hmm. You pay anywhere from six to ten dollars. Mm-hmm. If it was an import, you're looking at at ten. Um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the drop bass records and stuff like that were around six dollars. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, so. 
Okay, you got your records. Uh, how, how'd you go about getting your first setup, and what was it? Um, I was using Josh's equipment forever, like maybe five days a week, if not more. Just literally staying at his house, sometimes seven days a week, would be playing on his setup, which were techs and an old like thirty-two BAM uh, MTX mixer, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, with like four channels but just using two decks and uh, that's what I used initially for a few years while I saved up enough money to buy a used pair of techs mm-hmm. and I think I spent like $300 on a on a pair at that oh, gotcha. time mm-hmm. uh, and being in Iowa City at that time uh, Cedar Falls oh, Cedar Falls that's mm-hmm. right sorry you get your records in Iowa City mm-hmm. what uh, were there uh, other venues or how many places were there were there weeklies at all or Mm, yeah like were there bars that would let you guys do shows and a little bit later on um there was some spots in iowa city um there was a a bar called the 620 uh which i believe was the first gay bar in iowa city they would have a house music night and that went i i believe like for the most part, it was like Wednesday through Sunday. It was all house music. Oh, wow. Every now and again, they'd switch it up a little bit. But uh, residencies there, everyone predominantly played house music. Um, I can't remember the, the names anymore because they've all been replaced by other bars since then. But, um, yeah, there was a few venues in, in Iowa City that would have house music. Um and then uh, we started to kind of pepper that in with doing more techno parties. Uh, and definitely there was after parties there um, that were going off. Was there anything in Cedar Rapids that I'm forgetting? I mean, that was like a weekly. You guys kind of had like a monthly for a minute there in downtown. Later on, Rotation came into play, and Rotation um, was at Gabe's, and that was a weekly, and there you would start to see like a lot of more high-profile headliners playing in a nightclub regularly, oh, okay. and like everyone from Iowa kind of coming together, but before that, honestly, most of this was happening in in weird buildings. I mean, there was parties that would happen in like high school gymnasiums and then move over to the I-80 truck stop uh, back room for an after party, which is super sketchy. Um, Truck stop rave. Yeah, truck stop rave. Like straight up truck stop rave. I've seen it happen more than once. Uh, My my friend Naomi, uh, she once threw a party with, um, God, I, I, I don't want to misquote this. There was there was a couple famous house DJs from Chicago that really just I mean she was a very charming lady and uh, they ended up playing inside of a uh, inside of a laundromat of an apartment complex in Iowa City once. No. <laughs> uh, so it was mostly going down in there, and it was a little bit later on into the '90s before you started to see weeklies and. Um, and a lot more residencies of this sort of music starting to happen in places. Gotcha. 
So at this time, I mean, I know you when you tried went to art school a little bit, but did you move around at all, or were you kind of just home based and? At that time, it was mostly Iowa. Um, I I for a brief while moved to Tulsa and came back. What um, year is that? Oh, Tulsa probably would have been ninety five, maybe. But otherwise, I was mostly in Iowa. Um, I was I was playing parties in other states um, pretty frequently after ninety. 96, 97. I think 97 was the first one out of state and it kind of went out from there. Um, but, um, in the, up until that point, I would say like 93 until 97, I was mostly playing almost every week, either in the Quad Cities, Cedar Rapids or Iowa City or back home in, in Waterloo on top of like the club gig that I had, um, you know, we would try to do stuff, but in a college town like that, it just never really yeah. worked. They wanted top 40 things, but, um, predominantly, uh, when I wasn't doing that, I was playing in Fairfield or Cedar Rapids or Iowa city or the quad cities. So being around, you know, the Iowa scene and Midwest scene, as long as you have, uh, mm-hmm. what do you think have been some, like the high points or low points? Just, um, the, the, Maybe like the first year to year and a half that the parties were going on, um, I would say that was definitely a high point because it was so new and it was bringing together a lot of people without the without the shadiness and without some of the things that kind of came around later. Um, and it was it was novel. It, it brought together more of that feeling of community and and uh, and understanding and acceptance that that kind of got lost along the way. Um, certain drugs entering into the scene kind of changed the climate of how things were, and then club culture definitely started to change that even more. Gotcha. And two of them kind of became symbiotic. But that definitely was was. Um, was a high point would would be early on um, involvement a, another years. high point would be um, when Cedar Rapids really stepped up what was going on um, they kind of took the parties that were happening and and brought them to a, a different level um, a lot of the bigger headliners that were coming through and maybe some of the more popular artists and definitely reaching out more into Detroit and, and, you know, even a lot of overseas, um, acts that started to come through Iowa happened in Cedar Rapids. And so I would say like Matt Fountain's influence and, and Coleman, um, coming into his own as a promoter is his parents used to do that and like mm-hmm. him coming into that I think definitely was a a high point for Iowa um, the rotation party starting to happen in Iowa City was definitely uh, a high point um, they they would pack that place with people every week and they would they would bring in headliners from everywhere and uh, it, 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 they they essentially built a scene 
that was so solid and a following there from people all over Iowa that would go there and and the the level of dedication that the people that put those parties on had that many of the artists that came through there actually loved Iowa as one of their favorite places to play mm -hmm. because everyone knew the music everyone knew what they were playing they would try to throw a curveball and we still knew what it was and who produced it and where it came from and what <laughs> label it was on and like and that would just be some random person from the crowd um so that that i think was like definitely one of the high points um low points kind of started to come into all of that you know um iowa being iowa uh some of the some of the drug culture caught up to um what was happening in in ways that maybe it shouldn't hallucinogens and, and ecstasy and things like that definitely enhanced the parties that were happening and it wasn't the main reason that people were going but when you have things like this these things happen right so mm -hmm. um that that was not a terrible thing but as as speed and coke and other party drugs started to enter into it uh, it definitely took a toll on the promoters and the people that were going to parties and it, the scene got really dark and there was a lot of death and a lot of betrayal and a lot of people getting incarcerated and a lot of super sketchy shit that happened and it trickle down into everything else that was happening yeah. because you have such a small scene when things like that happen it starts to deteriorate Everything's connected. and it, at, yes and at that time you definitely started to see a decline in what was happening with things yeah. and people that yes yeah heroin was a terrible epidemic and we've lost enough and almost too many yeah. um but it uh that that definitely was was probably one of the darker times um you know as much as i love the iowa scene and i come from it and i have supported it and i have fostered a lot of the people involved in it there are only a small handful of people that are doing anything correctly with it anymore mm -hmm. um and i use the term correctly uh in just my own um, my own feeling on it um, it's not to take away anything that anyone is doing but the commercialization that's happening with it and the almost like desperate feel to it um, is really is really something that's sort of frustrating mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that have spent their lives dedicated to it that can't do it anymore mm -hmm. and a lot of the people that are in play right now aren't necessarily in it for the reasons that they should be and mm -hmm. what they're teaching and educating people with and branding with is not good yeah. for the scene or for anything else really Absolutely. um and i i know that everyone has mixed feelings on it and that's not necessarily the most popular opinion on things but after 23 years of watching things happen i understand that things change mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that the change when it's bad needs to be um, just allowed, you know, and mm -hmm. I hope that things get better. But um, there still is there's still pockets of strong scenes. Cedar mm -hmm. Rapids is still doing very well. Des Moines is trying to find its own. I think uh, I, I think that um, 
club culture again becomes kind of the problem with that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of a lot of music that's being promoted and pushed there that um, isn't being pushed and played a lot of other places for a reason. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and hopefully they can recover from yeah. the damage that was done from that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're going to use any of that or not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, no, I think um, a, a good representation, and, and not as if it's, like, really a bad thing, but a good representation of this transformation you're talking about is just what 515 used to be. It used to be all locals, free, you know, mm -hmm. this is Des Moines, this is what we are. Yes. And now it's evolved into a... It's any, a fucking any, carnival. Yeah, it's in, and then any other festival that... Yeah, it's you, you a generic see. carbon copy bullshit thing made to and generate And a lot of people money. come and they make a lot of money, but it's yeah, completely but, but away from the it, spirit of what it, it originally yeah, was. Yeah, it, it's the soul-sucking zombie of everything that anyone had ever worked for to make that festival even a fucking reality and I don't care how much money somebody paid for it the fact yeah. that somebody fucking paid for it mm -hmm. is a shining example of why it shouldn't exist to begin with because it was a grassroots thing that was happening mm -hmm. to show that we were actually speaking and we were doing this and that 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 people were were playing this music and fighting for this to happen and we're doing this and and creating something that was real and all of a sudden it has a fucking price tag and it's mm. bought out by people that make corporate money and people that get sponsorships from other nightclubs that don't give a flying fuck about any of it outside of the dollar sign that it makes them Absolutely. and utilizes and sucks out every promoter that they can and kisses their ass and uses them and leaves them high and dry or plays games. And the promoters that are involved in that, that's fine. But really all they are is just the same thing as a smarmy club promoter. Mm. They're looking for their bottom line on shit because they made an investment and that's not what the fuck this is so yeah yeah that's my problem with it mm -hmm. sorry dan yeah well that's why we got together <laughs> to keep that shit alive man. yeah i mean yeah exactly um you know iowa iowa has an amazing history and iowa has so much potential and everyone that leaves there ends up changing the places that they are, um, whether it's little things or whether it's big things. If you look at Colorado right now, mm -hmm. everyone will tell you about the Iowa invasion. Well, the Iowa invasion is everyone that actually meant something to fucking Iowa getting the fuck out because there's nothing there for them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's unfortunate. Uh, and with that loss, you still end up with the people that are doing bullshit and you know i'm sorry when people are trying to actually make things better having three fucking clubs throw a free party or bring some half-assed dubstep dj in in order to try to come over top of it is ridiculous yeah. you're just again sucking out everything for it and what is it really about because i thought the parties were about community and about bringing people together and about acceptance and about partying and having fun. But anymore, it's a cult of personality where one ego is trying to yeah. fucking overcome everyone else ego and be the party. king of shit mountain. But what the fuck is that? <laughs> what is that? A land of dubstep trap music and top 40 EDM? And you want to be the king Sign shit of everything but that. You want to be the one or two people to control everything else that happens in, in regards to the fight against that. But at the same time, you suck up to and and worship the people that are doing that shit because you want to get in on their money too like that's not what that's about and you mm -hmm. should step aside and let someone else take it over because if it's in its death throes 
let somebody else fucking handle yep, it because you're yep. the one killing it. Yeah. God damn it, I'm on a rant. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's all you good. can edit. You can use that if you want to, <laughs> or you can cut it out. I really don't care. I mean, I've been pretty public about. Well, I like. I yeah, yeah, anyway, no. So it's just about being real, and <laughs> I mean. You know, you could go back fucking 30 years from now and listen to this and be like, oh, yeah, that's what was going on. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. I feel really bad, dude. Like, I'm, I watch a lot of promoters put their lives into things and just... They're not bad promoters. It's just they're up against bullshit. Yeah. And when bullshit has money to throw at things, like, that's what ends up happening. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we can... Switch up the topic here, <laughs> just so we don't have people fucking getting angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, who cares about those I don't people? Know. Anyways? I, I, mean, I, really, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, when did you get into producing? Um, I first got into production, I think '94. I don't know if you could call it production so much as live performance, mm-hmm. um, but. Josh, at the same time that I was learning how to play records, had a Juno 106 and a Jupiter, and then an Alesis MMT-8 and an SR-16. And we would play around with sequencing and trying to make acid tracks with that stuff. And it wasn't the right sound, so he was kind of telling me, well, this is what you need to do that. So I took my money that... I took my money that I was going to use for college and I ended up buying a 909, a 707, and a 303 and started um, learning how to program those instruments and how to make music with them, Um, which wasn't entirely hard, but, you know, like learning the proper ways and, you know, all of that, Um, how to use the instruments, how to actually program them and not just use like presets or Mm -hmm. 303, you could take the battery out of the back and plug it back in and it would change up everything learning how to actually work with them probably happened in like 95 and that's that's when i seriously started to get into it and uh live performance is probably the one way that i broke out of iowa and actually started to get noticed i would i would record things on the cassette tapes and take them to parties with me and hand them to promoters Mm -hmm. and i ended up getting the chance in 97 to play in minneapolis for this huge fucking party nice Mm -hmm. how did that evolve or when did you get into use or what program did you use down the line down the line yeah making tracks Mm -hmm. I went from doing everything like that and recording it from cassette and then recording on like dat tape and um, I got burned out on the limitations of the hardware at that time and uh, and I started focusing more on DJing again so I parted ways with most of that equipment which mm-hmm. I regret at this point but um, so many of those cassettes um possibly yeah. Yeah, yeah i i mean i know a couple people that have held on to some so cool. yeah yeah there there are some that exist somewhere still yeah. um i don't yeah. know anyone has a tape player so right yeah <laughs> well, i mean cassettes have come back into fashion oh uh, yeah that's uh, so weird uh-huh that's so yeah. freaking weird see i was ahead of my time yeah. <laughs> um, oh my god but uh <laughs> yeah I, I i got back into djing again a little bit more and then when I got back into producing, um, I started using like Cubase, um, 
and then uh, dicking around with Reason a little bit because I was still more focused on DJing. Um, I would do that more more frequently, um, and uh, and then I started messing with Ableton when it came out, and uh, Ableton felt more like the hardware that I was used to, mm-hmm. and was something easier for me to. Um, feel comfortable with and program sounds that I actually liked. So it was e- easier to create the sounds that I liked and uh, and start getting more of, of uh, the ideas and concepts laid out faster. Um, and then um, shortly into using Ableton, I, I started making acid music again. Um, and yeah, so ever since then it's pretty much just been Ableton and MIDI controllers although um, I am now kind of getting more into hardware so over the next year there's going to be a change to doing more live performance oh, cool, man. and uh, and combination of DJ set and live performance and re-edits and things like that oh, that sounds really cool mm-hmm. oh so do you have any uh, tracks what tracks do you have released on like uh, any labels um, I have tracks on Fluid Groove and Assimilation Recordings. Um, I have tracks on, uh, oh God, Chicago Jacks uh, most recently, uh, and then working on things for UKR and a couple other labels at the moment. Cool. And uh, is most of what you make, it's all techno then? or? Yeah, the only thing that I make is techno. Um, the difference in what I produce, though... I first should mention Equilibrium. That's yeah, terrible. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Special mention. Uh-huh. Oh I really suck at interviews. I'm sorry. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, but mostly what I'm producing isn't necessarily what I play. Um, a lot of what I end up writing um, really, like, harkens back to more of the midwest like chicago warehouse sound that that i'm i kind of grew up on um and i'm not i am working on a little bit more um modern abstract artistic techno at the moment but uh, most of the releases that I've done and remixes and things like that, that sound has already been more similar to that. And so it's, it's bangy um, and maybe not as streamlined as some of the other stuff that I normally play. Gotcha. Right on, man. Um, well, another thing I wanted to talk about, too, was uh, your other uh, passion and kind of career your professional uh, piercer and scarificationist <laughs> or how, uh, scarification artist mm-hmm. scarification artist okay mm-hmm. cool uh when and how did you get into doing all that um i started collecting piercings when i was 17 and um the person that was doing them there at the time um offered me an apprenticeship and so i learned how to how to do that um both the people that owned the studio and the piercer had attended Gauntlet, which was the only piercing school, and I believe uh, until it closed is and was the only piercing school in the nation ever. Wow. Um, Where was that? One of them was in San Francisco and the other was in New York, and they had met through crazy. going to school there uh, to to be able to come together. Uh, one moved from Portland uh, to Waterloo to do that. 
And so I, I learned how to, um, how to pierce through them, got my apprenticeship and I got my start that way. Uh, and then I started working for a studio in Cedar Falls, uh, that offered piercing and I did that for like ever. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when did, uh, scarification come along? Scarification didn't start happening until about six years ago. Um, I had been piercing for so long that I just kind of figured it was time to branch out a little bit. Um, and I sought out someone to be able to teach me that and started learning um, and became fairly good at it pretty quickly on um, and got noticed by a few different magazines and websites and it kind of went from there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that, is it a relatively new form of body? I mean, I know they've used it in tribes like for right. centuries, that, but like it, it, in culture, in our culture. In, it? I mean, it depends in the, in the piercing and modification community. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily old. I'd say that it's pretty close to, um, being as, as old as piercing. Okay. Um, it, but uh, it, it, at the same point, um, with modern things, because of the internet and exposure and stuff, it definitely had a resurgence yeah. over the last half a decade, for sure. Right on. Mm -hmm. And so what, I mean, what is it ex exactly? I mean, I know you're, you're making scars on people that'll be permanent or yeah like you're, how... you're using sharp objects in order to create incisions into the skin to either uh, use depth or or peel tissue away in order to create a permanent scar yeah. in the design of, of your what, what's it like learning to do that is it nerve-wracking at yeah. first yeah yeah i think um you know with everything that comes along with what i do there's that level of um there's a level of understanding what it is that you're doing and and what is to be expected so when you're when you're using this implementation and and creating blood and things like that and knowing that you're you are potentially pain. hurting someone yeah. yeah and you you're wanting to get the you know you're dealing with the body and it's it's limitations and things while you're doing that like mm -hmm. it, it can be a little nerve-wracking at first yeah, yeah at this point it's pretty much old hat but mm -hmm. yeah for sure right on uh so you've been flown places to do work, haven't you? Yes. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, where's, where's it taken you? Um, so far, I've been in almost every major city in America. And then uh, I've been to Victoria, British Columbia, Nanaimo, and that area. Um, at this point, um, a few times a year, I'm going to be going to Italy and Germany. Wicked. And it'll kind of be building from there. Um, yeah. Is so is that is that for like a convention or are no, you going that's literally, for just like a shop to I, yeah, feature I'm, or something? I'm literally going to do a guest spot in a studio. Uh-huh. That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, but the interesting thing about it is because um, the people that are bringing me out are involved in the electronic music scene there, I'm going to be playing parties in Italy and Germany right as on. well while I'm out there doing piercing. So uh, my two jobs can kind of run symbiotically. Yeah, and that kind of, yeah, bring, what I was going to ask you next was, yeah, well, are, what are the similarities between the two cultures of uh, body modification and techno? Uh, I mean, well, there's obviously connections, like you're saying, the same kind of people, both those crowds, but... Mm -hmm. um, 
I'm not, the similarities I think come down to both of them are um, both of them are involved in submersive things like the you know the nightlife culture and the electronic music scene and the piercing community and all of that you're dealing with people that are more on the fringe elements or people that are not interested in um, the day-to-day cookie cutter kind of thing Mm -hmm. and um, working with those sort of people on a business aspect it's a very similar um, means Mm -hmm. Um, the the collectors and the politics and the things that come along with it are um, pretty much one and the same and I would say that at this day and age, people that attend the parties like that have more of a disposable income, and they are interested in the same sort of thing. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of people that go to parties and, and festivals and things like that also are involved in modification, tattooing, and piercing. And so when we offer that, you know, it's you see the same people. Yeah. They run kind of almost symbiotically. Right on. Yeah, I mean, an example of that was uh, when you came out for Together the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Stevens here, who's, I mean, you guys knew each other through your circles. Mm-hmm. He does piercing and stuff, too. Mm-hmm. And we set it up so you guys, you'd never met, mm-hmm. but you knew of each other, and we had you tag at the party, mm-hmm. which is yeah, super was cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so what uh, made you want to make the move to Seattle then here a year ago? Um, you know, um, I kind of got over some of the things that were happening in Iowa, it was kind of a turning point in my life, and I had the opportunity to go to, um, I believe, three places at that time. I was going to do guest spots just to travel and get away for a little bit, and when I got to Seattle, within the first maybe week, it would have been the first time in everywhere that I've been and and stayed and worked or anything for any period of time where I just really knew that was where I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. There was something about it. Um, and I, I've, I've been there ever since. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Mm-hmm. So your original uh, reason to move out there was you had a place to, to work mm-hmm. and job like right off the bat. And stuff, yeah. So. yeah, the studio that I'm working in is actually one of the best in the country. And um, they're the largest producers of stone and organic body jewelry in the nation. Oh, wow. So... Um, being able to be a part of that after the years and years and years of doing this and working with one of the people that was involved in the very early stages of much of this and learned a lot of his craft from the people that invented most of the procedures mm-hmm. that we do today is, is a big honor. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was part of it as well. But yeah, I got lucky. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pretty much awesome. it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So how did you get involved with the, uh, the electronic scene out there? Mm-hmm. I knew about Decibel Festival, and I attended the first one, and I kind of met a few people, and I would say that one of the tattoo artists that worked next door to me, uh, his roommate was a resident DJ at uh, one of the clubs that was heavily involved in that festival, and um, through him I met a couple people, and then I started looking around a little harder and found... um, more of the underground promoters and started just talking with them and uh it's kind of snowballed from there but yeah uh i just kind of took my time and researched what i was going to and who was doing what and what was happening there and seeing what what the day-to-day was like 
Yeah, yeah. It can be interesting. I, I mean, when I moved out here, I was lucky enough to have Brooke Knapp out here, which mm-hmm. you grew up with her in, yep. in uh, Waterloo and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I had her to kind of, you know, introduce us to a lot of people, but still, like, a whole fresh new scene can be just like... <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. It, it, I mean, it, it's different you everywhere you go. You credibility. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and oftentimes they don't, and that comes, yeah. that comes with time, too. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, because I've spent so many years traveling and, and still being able to play, mm-hmm. um, I, I kind of understand the concept of, of, you know, the hierarchies and the yeah. people that I play and all that stuff. But, yeah, it always comes down to, um, you know, proving yourself. Uh, you know, going out there, no one cares that I've played for 23 years. Mm-hmm. No one cares anything about where I come from yeah. or what I do. They don't, as far as they know, we, I come from a state that grows potatoes. They're more concerned about what are you going to do for me, like whatever. Yeah, they, yeah. You know, oh, yeah, you say <laughs> this, you know, oh, yeah, okay, uh, <laughs> whatever. So, yeah, I mean, getting getting into an area like that, it's like starting all over again, um, which I actually like. I've... I, started over and over and over and over and over again over the years uh the moment that i start to get known for a name i change my name the moment that i put out a release on something i never put a release out on that name again Mm -hmm. well that's not true i've done that twice but other than that um you know i i'm i'm a big fan of of switching because i think that when you when you just change and you drop everything and you begin again whether it's creativity creatively whether it's in in your life whether it's whatever um you remain humble it it keeps you hungry it keeps you reinventing yourself and it keeps you aware of what's going on you know otherwise you can become too complacent observing and learning yeah yeah Totally. The harder you make it on yourself, the more rewarding it ends up being. So what what would you say have been some of the uh, biggest adjustments to move, living in Seattle? Having to play under 127 beats per minute regularly. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the Having to play minimal um, primarily has been a little bit of an adjustment. Um, I like the music, don't get me wrong. Um, but with what I'm passionate about and what I do it's it's not uh they're not ready for it yet mm-hmm. so having to adjust to what they're ready for as i start to change yeah. things and push boundaries a little bit and stuff and try to cultivate more yeah to what i'm into um is is been an adjustment a little bit not one that i'm unfamiliar with but that's mm-hmm. probably the biggest adjustment people are different there the politics are different there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. how many people are in seattle mm. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I yeah, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot. Right on. Yeah, it's the like the third largest growing city in America right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Well, man, yeah, I'm looking forward to coming out there sometime, man, and, and kicking it with you. And yeah, absolutely, it anytime for sure. Decibel mm-hmm. would be fun too. Decibel Festival is no longer. Oh, it isn't. It is not. No, oh, Sean man. Horton is involved with the Red Bull Music Academy, and so he kind of loosely helps, I believe, with the new festival. But really, it Decibel's done uh, now. It's called Chance of Rain, and it's been overtaken by Michael Manahan. Um, Michael Manahan owns Rebar and is involved in a lot of other nightclubs and things like that. He owns Starborn Audio, which has um, the sound system set up in most of the venues in the area that play this style of music. Um, he, um, he took it over this year 
and uh, they they had a pretty decent turnout. It wasn't as strong as some of the previous years this because the same, they started same it later. Music? It's still focused primarily on on techno and house music. Mm -hmm. There are some drum and bass and things like that, or some more abstract or down-tempo stuff, but uh, primarily it's it's house and techno. Um, Ian Lehman was out there. Um, I actually connected him with one of the promoters to do that, to perform as Doubt, and he had had the opportunity to open up for ERP, um, which is also Convection. So there was definitely um, a representation of techno. I mean, to go above and beyond that, Derek May was a headliner. Oh, we did. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, man. Well, yeah, we're approaching uh, the home stretch of the podcast here. Uh, uh, We'll come to one of my favorite sections of it, though, is the best and worst section, where we go through the best and worst of various uh, topics here. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, if you can... Tell us what uh, is the best and worst gig you've ever played. Uh, and it, it, I mean, is there's the, a few. I mean, uh, the best one that I've ever played, I think, like, there's been a lot of really amazing parties that I've had the opportunity to play. I would hope so over 23 um, years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, most most recently, I mean, I had the, the opportunity to... Um, uh, do like a co-opening set for for Om in Seattle, and that was definitely uh, a wonderful opportunity and feeling, especially having been there less than a year, mm-hmm. to have the opportunity to That's play at awesome. one of the largest clubs in <laughs> Seattle and to open up for someone like that, that uh, was yeah. yeah, that was definitely a, a really nice a nice thing. Um, do you play minimal? Um, I played a combination of tech house, but not broy, but some tech house, some minimal, um, and then harder techno, and mm-hmm. yeah, like a little crossover in in between. But um, yeah, I like to still keep things interesting. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to go like, yeah, uh, I didn't want to go straight minimal or straight like. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it, like trendy techno. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still like to, to have my own take and, and feel to it mm-hmm. regardless. I, I mean, I understand what time slot I'm playing. So yeah, I can still cater to that. Right. Um, but I think like my favorite gig ever, um, just because of what it means to me was uh, following Frankie Bones um, and right before Woody McBride at a, a Halloween party in Minneapolis um, there was a few thousand people there, and I performed live. First there. Avenue? Or... Uh, no, it was a it was like a Boeing warehouse. Oh yeah, like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, they had they had half the wall of base there for that. Um, yeah, it uh, it was uh, Frankie's first appearance in Minneapolis. What year is this? Ninety seven. Wow. Yeah, it was dude. a Halloween party. Wow. Um, they I believe there was like. Uh, close to 5,000 people that were there and the cops came in and cleared out almost two of that so roughly three <laughs> thousand people in a in a warehouse uh, in in Minneapolis somewhere Damn, that's uh, yeah and I improv the entire thing wicked dude. yeah yeah that's that, just to be able to to play on that sort of system and to follow someone like like Frankie, yeah, and uh, and I mean, he was in his prime at that time, right? Oh yeah, it was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was amazing. This this was before uh, the internet got to him. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and yeah, the worst. Do you have a worst experience? 
I mean, there, there's been times I've gone to parties where there's been almost no one and you've spent all the money to get there and it's just yeah. a, a total bust. Um, but I can't, I can't think of anything in particular that was just like, uh, that horrible, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, there's been some disappointments here and there, but nothing I can really say is like Never get the your worst equipment ruined at a show. Uh, that same party in 97, I almost got my 909 stepped on. Uh, yeah, but, but Frankie actually caught it, uh, before the, the young lady stepped back on top of it. Um, because she hopped up on the stage where my gear was set up and almost stepped on my stuff. Um, I, I haven't had anything, um, ruined in a performance. I haven't lost anything like that. Um. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I wish I could give you like a worst, uh, <laughs> I, I think, I think in doing this, sometimes you just get used to, um, low expectations <laughs> yeah. sometimes. Yeah. yeah. At, at this stage, you know, um, the, a lot of people are trying really hard and you never know how far the scene is along yeah. and where you're going, uh, sometimes. So, you know, and it could be a great venue and you go and show up and it's just the wrong night and, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. It's all exercise, really. <laughs> of course, yeah. I will take the opportunity to play on any sound system that is loud and has the potential to be heard by people. I mm-hmm. just feel like, why not? You know, you Completely. can be sitting in your house doing it for a wall and yourself, or you can be out playing it. Yeah, on, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So, what would you say would be the best and worst uh, concert set or musical performance you've ever seen in your life? Like and worse like, could be we're talking disappointing. Like any style of like, music, yeah, anything, or? anything you've ever went to witness as a, okay. as an audience member. Um, like in this style of music, I think Movement '06 was probably one of my favorites. Um, uh, I thought the stage and everything was great, but however, like Beatport Stage '07 was even better because it was like on this little wooden stage, and you were inches away from the DJs. Mm-hmm. Now everyone's on pedestals, but then it was like yeah, literally yeah. from you to me. This would be, you know, uh, uh, so it, that that was that was a really nice time. Um, I enjoyed that. Uh, I had the chance to see Nirvana. Uh, about six weeks before uh, he took his life oh, um, in a high school gymnasium in the Quad Cities oh, with Mud Honey and Jawbreaker. That's wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, in whatever his writings are, his autobiography or whatever, he uh, he states that that was his favorite show ever. So to be wow. able to be there like, was definitely... That's something. Yeah, and this was when they were doing like huge stadiums all over the world. That was... a. Uh, it was a cool thing to, wow. to see and experience. It was during the In Utero tour. Damn. Um, I also, I don't know, uh, I the Beastie Boys in like 93 or 92. No, I was 16, so it would have been like 91, 92 for the Check Your Head tour. Check Your Head, yeah. Yeah, they did an <laughs> hour <laughs> of, yeah, it was L7, House of Pain play, then L7. Oh, and my then, God. And then it was Beastie Boys, and they did an hour of, of hip-hop. And then they did another hour just on a whim of uh, punk rock standards and classics and uh, and their old stuff when they were a punk band. Wow. Uh, and played that live, just the three of them. 
That's uh, for another crazy. hour. Yeah, that was definitely a really cool show. Or like the Pixies during Trompe Le Monde before they broke up the first time. Wow. Yeah, in their heyday. Yeah, that was that was also incredible. Um, uh, Green Day in the late '80s when they played the Boathouse in Cedar Falls during the '39 Smooth Kerplunk era. Oh man, that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> I saw Daft Punk in 1996 in a cornfield in Wisconsin. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Um, when that was our first appearance in America. And they weren't uh, robots yet. No, they were not robots. They yeah. were just young French kids. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, uh, that was cool. Um, I saw Richie Houghton for his first appearance legally allowed back in America <laughs> after he got kicked out for sheet one because all of his CDs that he pressed it, on the inside, it looked like tabs of acid. Oh my I don't know if you heard about that, uh-huh. but yeah, he got banned from coming over. I knew to he the got US. banned. I didn't know it was for that. that. It was for that, yeah. And it wasn't even a. Thing. It wasn't even a thing. Wow. It just looked like it. it the, there wasn't even perforation on. Well, I think maybe the first couple had perforation on the paper, <laughs> but it wasn't like. Yeah. There wasn't anything to it, but they still did that to him. Uh, but his first appearance was uh, his first legal appearance was in Minneapolis, and uh, it was like Josh Wink and Nigel Richards and. Uh, I think maybe Delta Nine was at that party, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that was that was definitely a cool experience as well. Wicked. Mm-hmm. So, any uh, disappointments? Not entirely. Not entirely. I think I don't. Maybe like Rob Acid right now. Uh, his his sets are really disappointing. Underwater. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Rob Babbage stuff. That you know, he's he's. I've seen him play since um, since the mid '90s, mm-hmm. uh, performing live, and and now with like the overtly almost EDM-y trance sound thing that he's doing, it's mm-hmm. not that it's a little disappointing. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna feel bad because he's a friend and I'm talking yeah. about it like this. But it's, <laughs> it's bad. But um, were you at even further this year? I was not. No, yeah. I played a party in Portland over that weekend, so oh, I wasn't gotcha. able to be there. But, uh, yeah, I heard Jason Snell had the opportunity to fill in for Lenny D and open for Perk, and that's amazing. Yeah. Jason and I go back to, like, the early, early 90s. I used to perform uh, right after him, um, like, DJing, I believe, mostly at that time, every now and again live. But uh, he would be using, like, a sampler and, like, a, a little drum machine to do everything and it's it's incredible to see where he's gone yeah that's awesome man mm-hmm. uh so yeah just to wrap the best and worst up the last one is uh festivals you've been to and i, I know i already kind of said detroit that you sh- that's usually the answer mm-hmm. on this yeah uh, yeah my favorite podcast. my favorite festival is definitely detroit as far as like any others um i don't really do festivals all that much mm-hmm. um i mean together uh, I, I love that festival, mm-hmm. but like, um, I, I don't really have a worst because I pick which ones I go to. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm usually not disappointed. So, um, I, I don't really have one. Uh, I would just say that I'm not exactly supportive of, um, of a lot of the over the top big budget sort of stuff. Yeah. And that might not be a popular, uh, opinion for people that get paid to play those things but i just think it's it's watered down and it's not really something that i'm mm-hmm. into 
Did I have even heard that, like, I mean, the big, big festivals is just, like, the garbage EDM. Mm-hmm. Like, the DJ will have a play fee, like, mm-hmm. where they just press play. Mm-hmm. And then if you want them to actually perform, you have There's to pay a them like, yeah. <laughs> for an yeah. actual performance. That's quite possible. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of that shit that occurs anymore. Yeah. I mean, most of them are ghostwriting or not even ghostwriting. They're having everything that they do oh, yeah. written. So it's just yeah, it's terrible. Yeah, they're just a costume. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Right on. But apparently that's cool in this line of work. Like, <laughs> you know. As long as there's lasers in my eyes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I need to have immersed life painting, and I want to have 3D projection mapping on everything, and I want to have over-the-top lasers, and I want the music to sound like I've spent four days in a Ibiza beach on ketamine. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I'll be there. Well, that'll wrap that that portion up and uh yeah we'll, we'll get out of here in a second but uh just to wrap things up what uh do you have any upcoming gigs or releases or stuff you want to plug um my latest release has come out on chicago jacks as a remix uh for fn key with roman zaudney um called what the foe um currently i am working on a couple of eps for labels that i'll announce later um as far as upcoming gigs uh, I have a week of the residency called Depth in Seattle, where we're focused on minimal and techno and house music, predominantly um, harder minimal music and Romanian minimal. Um, as gig-wise, I have on November 25th, I'm bringing Diego Santana uh, from nice. Purchase. Uh, and beyond out along with Travis Norman who used to be part of oh yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a good lineup uh that's going to be happening November 25th at Club Contour Um, right now I'm just working on a bunch of different things Uh, this actually after this weekend at Beta and Eco and and Pearls kind of wraps up about two and a half months of playing out almost every weekend uh so i'm i'm taking a break for a moment i believe i have um la coming up i've got southern california coming up um i've got italy and germany coming up as well shortly in 2017 and there'll definitely be more things coming around in seattle uh as soon as i'm ready to drop all the info on that oh yeah man that's exciting Mm -hmm. good to good to hear you keeping busy oh yeah um if so where can people find you online if they want to see you know dates or if uh, if they want to hear some music from you um i'm on mixcloud www.mixcloud.com backslash cory hyphen simpson and that's without any that correct that's c-o-r-y hyphen s-i-m-p-s-o-n well all right dude uh glad we got some fucking time to do this while you're in town and it's, it's been a blast hanging out with you this weekend and look forward to yeah you know working together in the future and coming Absolutely. out and hanging out with you in seattle so For sure all right what can we expect from the mix we're about to throw on here um for this mix i'm going to be putting together very dubby kind of heads down um modern techno definitely very much um a, a 3 to 6 a.m. sort of feel, um, more further futuristic, uh, broken and abstract in its uh, approach. Sweet. 
All right, man. Well, with that, we will go fucking smoke ourselves a cigarette and uh, let this mix play out. So, all right, guys, here we go with Corey Simpson on the ones and twos. Cheers.
week's episode, guys. Big thanks to Corey for hanging out and for the stellar mix he provided. We'll be back at it with episode 21 here in the upcoming weeks, but until then, keep it technical, guys.